Hey, Hockey Moms, check out BlueLineHockeyClub.com for all the past and future podcasts. Tonight's podcast is brought to you by... Summer is certainly in full swing. The guys at Blue Line Hockey Club Podcast only grill their favorite summer feasts with HockeyHandles.com. That's Hockey Handles with a Z. At Hockey Handles, their mission is to make customized, high-quality, handcrafted products from broken hockey sticks, which we all know would otherwise be thrown out and fill our landfills. Be environmentally conscious this summer with their three-piece grill sets. Line your grill with one of these Hockey Handles three-piece grill sets to include a fork, tongs, and a spatula. These all-metal surface, non-stick, stainless steel sets will be the talk of your next summer barbecue. Order your customized set today. Go to HockeyHandles.com. That's Hockey Handles with a Z. Welcome back to the Blue Line Hockey Club, folks. We got another exciting episode. We have episode 68 tonight. The usual suspects sitting in the house. We have our producer down in Raleigh, Patrick Uncle Sullivan. What's up, Patrick? Aloha. Also down in Raleigh, our local nerd on staff, Robbie P. Peters. What's up, Pete? Hey, how's your mom and them? Up in Canton, New York, our all-around sports guru, Derek D-Train. He too. What's up, D-Train? What's up, sweetos? And your host of the Blue Line Hockey Club tonight, Mark the Doctor Morley. Oh, Doc. Tonight's interview is brought to you by Hockey Handles Grill Accessories. Check them out, hockeyhandles.com. Tonight's special guest, Riley Cote, who played for the Philadelphia Flyers, one of the toughest enforcers in the NHL. Also has a body check wellness CBD oil company going on right now, too. We're going to get into some of that. So, Riley, how's it going tonight? Going great. How about you guys? Good, Good man. Excellent. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, so where no are you problem. at today? I am uh, an hour north of Philadelphia in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where I am currently residing. Nice. Allentown. Yeah, yeah. I spent some time in uh, the Philly area. I played for the Wings. Actually, I was playing for the Philadelphia Wings when you were playing for the Flyers, actually, like 2004, 2008. So probably oh, cross right paths somewhere. I think it was called cool. the Wacopia Center yeah. back then. Yeah, 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 okay, right on, yeah, Wells Fargo now, and yeah, I'm sure yeah, we did we cross paths. Yeah, we had some, some games, like, right after your afternoon games and stuff like that, I remember seeing Ken Hitch, Hitchcock and some of the guys coming out of the locker room, so, might have run into you, didn't know it. Yeah, right on, Philly's so, a yeah, city, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely uh, had some blackout nights in Philly myself. <laughs> <laughs> you and me, you and me both. <laughs> Wait, night <laughs> Can't beat it. At all. So, uh, so what have you been doing this summer? Are you getting any golf in? You know what? I, I'm not much of a golfer. I think the, the three rounds of golf I play are at charity events. And, uh, you know, I, I, do, I do enjoy it and getting out, but uh, it's a serious time commitment. And uh, I just have too many irons in the fire. And I got a, you know, a couple young girls. And it's just, uh, you know, it's hard, to, yeah. it's hard to get the free pass to go on the links and chase around a little white ball, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It takes some time to find that thing in the woods. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. That's the that's where I spend most of my time in the shade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a tree wood in my bag too. So uh, let's uh, get into a little bit. Like we'll get into your hockey career first, and um, you know we'll follow it up with your with your business and stuff. And you know where did you start playing hockey? How'd you get involved? Um, you know, was there somebody that got you involved in the sport? And you know, who's the person that you maybe you know credit to getting you to where you got with the Flyers? Yeah, so I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and 
I would give all the credit to my parents, honestly. Uh, they were Winnipeg Jets season ticket holders, uh, you know, just huge hockey fans. And, uh, you know, they put in a lot of time and effort you know, flooding our backyard and our, in our garden area, a little, <laughs> little ice rink. And, you know, between that and hauling my ass around to different arenas, I mean, they were my number one supporters. So I can't think of any, anybody else that had more of an influence on my hockey career than them. Uh, you know, as I grew up a little bit, I started to identify with different players and had some you know, guys that I kind of had on my radar as far as uh, me watching and, you know, paying some attention to, including some Winnipeg Jets, but also outside of, out of that organization too. So, uh, you know, they, they were they were a huge, huge uh, supporters of mine, my, you know, my number one fans. And even when I kind of took a different direction with my hockey game to, you know, being more of an enforcer, uh, you know, they were still still supporting me along the way, even though I, I, I know they would rather have me scoring 50 goals a year and yeah. making making more money but <laughs> you know you take what you can get right and Absolutely. uh you know it's been one of, it's been one of those things you know they've been no, my number one supporters uh even since i moved on so it's, it's been a blessing those parents are you know 100 percent behind uh, you know the player's success so yeah yes. you know, i think you know i i think from my mom's perspective all she can think about was how much money she invested in my uh, in my braces growing up that she, she didn't want my, <laughs> me to lose my teeth <laughs> Besides that, she was more concerned about my teeth and my brain getting right, punched in the head right. for a living. Well, I don't but, know um, about the brain, then I don't think at all. Right? It's right. almost like it's almost like they were just oblivious to you know to head trauma to the brain and thinking that it didn't matter. You can dust it off like a like a bruised arm. Um, but <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, it's all good. I I can remember having well, I barely remember having someone skate off the bench across the entire uh, ice surface and cross check me across the face. And, you know, I don't think that that's legal these days. No. <laughs> well, that would be at least a 50-gamer. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, any head swing now is like 25 games. If you're coming off the bench to do it, yeah, you'd be, he, might be, he might be done, definitely. Yep. I don't see that so, Riley, when you, when you started playing, you know, juniors and uh, working your way up, when did you finally realize that, you know, you're one of the tougher guys on the ice um, I know you're what six two, and were you, when did you hit six two? Were you pretty young when you uh, finally peaked off on your height wise? Um, yeah, I, I want to say I was probably sixteen. I mean, I think I, I'm actually I, I'm actually six one. I think a couple of those a uh, couple of those stats <laughs> a six two. You know, they always, they always pat them up a little bit, but you know, I think I was six one since I was sixteen. Um, and I'm naturally a really thin guy. Like I, I think I weighed um, you know 165 pounds my first year in juniors. Um, when I moved to the Western Western Hockey League, and at six one, so I was naturally a pretty thin guy, um, you know. And then I got in this ideology of you know gaining weight, thinking I was going to be a better hockey player and stronger hockey player, and eventually that you know that that philosophy kind of transferred into me being a fighter and again being unfunctional and 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 gaining weight, almost gaining weight to move up weight classes versus trimming down and leaning up and being more more functional and. And agile to be a you know a more efficient fighter and hockey player. So I was a little bit brainwashed with the whole thing, um, you know, not really understanding and associating you know what sh true strength is versus muscle mass and how it could be you know counterintuitive and and actually less functional. But um, I think when I was 19, I was like 200 pounds, and then that, and when I turned 20, to, you know, when I turned pro is when I made the decision to to be a fighter is when I really started. Cranking, cranking the gym hard and 
doing all kinds of stupid things to gain weight and, um, you know, lining up in the Central Hockey League fighting all these mutants and, um, you know, but I, but I wasn't being very intelligent. It was being kind of like all in. I'm, I'm a meat, I, I signed up to be a meathead and I'm all in. Um, and, and, you know, it took me a few years to even understand how bad I was and how unfunctional of a hockey player I become because I was so muscle heavy, you know, I had so much muscle mass. And, um, you know, when you look at a sport like hockey, I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to be efficient and you're trying to be functional. And you know what I mean? And I think when you're, when you carry on that extra weight, you're just not you're just not as, as efficient of a of a player, let alone a fighter. But I think I kind of figured it out a little bit, you know. I think after my third year pro, I was in the East Coast Hockey League, and then a little bit of the American League, and then I land up signing with the Fa- the Phantoms in 2004, 2005, and uh, from that year, I kind of like started to recognize how how poor my training was and how poor my philosophy was on training and strength versus you know, training and strength versus, you know, being functional, like, I, like I've been mentioning. So I started kind of like identifying with that and, uh, you know, really started honing in on becoming more, you know, mobile, becoming more functional and, you know, training in certain ways that become, you know, more specific to hockey versus just lifting weights, you know what I mean? Like a mindless, you know, idiot in, in the gym with no real true purpose for my girl. hockey career. But, uh, you know, it, it was an evolution, no question. Yeah, and, and back yeah, in those times, they, they didn't have books for you to follow. I, I don't know about yeah. you guys, but we definitely didn't have doors that were open for us. So we didn't have like a, you know, someone to watch or, or someone to follow. I don't know about you, but uh, we were pretty much on our own. Smoking darts and smoking darts and drinking <laughs> right. beers in the off season. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's, it's so true, though. Like, you know, the resources were, were very limited and the resources were kind of just like whatever's passed passed on from the organization uh whether whatever league you're in um you know you look at the resources now is like there's you know between the online stuff and the amount of guys in the strength and conditioning sector and all these different philosophies and you know a lot of them overlap and are very similar but um you know the amount of money that's invested in that it's like you look back you know a lot of the guys i'm around the flyers alumni are, are the broad street bullies and you know they won two stanley cups drinking beer and, yeah. and you, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you know, he, show, he shows you how much the game has changed. Um, but but really, how, how how much of a lack of intelligence there was around a lot of these things? You know what I mean? It's like even even if you just sit back, you sat back and evaluated some of the things they did back then. Even you know, up until not too long ago, and you know, without even having all these resources to you know for science to validate it, like you know, drinking beer and and smoking cigarettes and being an elite athlete, they just don't, they just don't really go hand in hand, but somehow in the hockey culture, you can get away with it. Um, you know, and then, you know, hydrating the body, the concussions, like they would literally put guys on the ice. Like as long as you could like put your equipment on and step on the ice without falling, like you were good to go. You were cleared, you were cleared to play. You know, you look back on some of that stuff. It was just like, it's like archaic. It was like archaic the way they, or the way they view this. The, the like, there has to be some sort of common sense, you know? It's, I understand the science wasn't there to probably validate everything. Yeah, yeah. Come the, on, man. Like, the, the one I always got was, are you hurt or are you injured? So what the fuck is yeah, that? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> can, you see, can you see my fingers? Yeah, okay, good to go. I mean, More smell like sauce. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, now it's like, you know, any sort of, you know, like if, if a Kleenex hits your head, you're gonna have like a, a spotter coming, like you know, almost pull you out of your head, you know, pull you out of the game. And 
you know, it's the complete opposite. It's like it's almost gone so far the other way where it's right. like any sort of head contact is now a spectrum of concussion. And now you got to go through these protocols where it's like, oh, man, like, I get it. You know, they're trying to protect these young young athletes. But, like, I think, like, there there has to be some sort of, you know, uh, are they, middle ground of, are they protecting you know, the knowing your body a little bit. Investment? Say that again, sorry? Are they protecting the athlete or their investment? It's a good question. I think they're worried about liability and lawsuits, to tell you the honest truth, more than more than anything. I mean, yeah, I mean you can always say, Well, we're yeah, we're we're looking out for the better interest of our of our athletes. I mean, I, I would like to think that is the case to some degree. But I mean, what I've seen in pro sports is that, you know, you're nothing more than a moving part in the machine and if you can't go, someone else is gonna replace you and um, they they know exactly. that the shelf life of most of the players that they have is two or three years, and then these players go on to a different team and they become someone else's problem. So, um, you know they're 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 not looking about they're not looking for sustainability and longevity. They're looking about like win me a Stanley Cup now, or at least at, at the at least very, at the very least try to win me a Stanley Cup now, and then and then you're banged up, you're in your damaged goods, you're gonna go on and be someone else's problem. So you know, like uh, yeah, I mean. To some degree, they're obviously looking out for the, the health of the players, but I think it's more, you know, keeping the flies away and, and mitigating some of the risk that's involved in contact sports that, you know, that the, 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 the NHL specifically has been on, on the hot seat for because they haven't ever come out and and actually publicly associated, you know, head trauma, fighting, any of the head head blows to long-term mental health issues or CTE and stuff like that. So, you know what I mean? They're kind of playing a real strong political game and approach on how they manage the the messaging and the verbiage of, of con- the concussion game. So there's a lot of liability involved, you know, no question. Yeah. Look at the NFL. I mean, no the NHL is, you know, right, right there with them. Yeah, it's a lot of money that, uh, you know, everybody's playing with there. So, you know, everybody's got some skin in that game, and I'm sure they're trying to protect it at all costs. Oh, sure, for sure. The cor- cor- It's a major corporation, you know. Yeah. So, Riley, do you, yeah. Do you think that? Uh, do you think it's? I mean, being an enforcer and then like you know that's kind of been taken out of the game completely now. Do you think like you know the league has kind of gone like too far uh, in one direction to kind of you know to change the game and uh, you know kind of take it away from back in the old days the way we used to play and stuff like that? What's your thoughts on that kind of thing? Yeah, I think that they've gone too extreme on the other side. I think there's a there's got to be a happy medium of, of keeping the accountability in the game. And again, keeping guys honest, um, you know, through the the fight, you know, the, again, the the accountability, keeping guys um, on their toes. Where where now there's, I feel like there's a lack of respect in the game, where there's more headshots and more head blows than there's ever been. And then uh, you look at, you know, the, you know, you look at the numbers from from fighting, and I think it's uh, under four, under five percent of all concussions come from fighting. So you know, it's it's, it's easy to just. Um, Smear, smear up that role and say, okay, well, if we re- eliminate fighting, we're going to eliminate headshots and we're going to eliminate concussions. We're only going to be removing four or five percent of all the concussions through fighting. You know what I mean? And and in fact, I think there, there's more headshots now than there ever was because there was an element of uh, of accountability and respect that's not present in today's game. So I mean, be, being a guy that's kind of like gotten away from that world of fighting and the whole bit, I always support accountability. And that was one thing unique about hockey is like if, if you dicked around, there was someone that was going to punch you in the mouth. Yeah, someone was you know going to I mean? say, and, and they yeah. were really going to do it, and, and, and it keeps people in line. 
I, I think there should be more of it. I, I'm not a violent person, but I think there's, there's zero accountability in this world. And, you know, Absolutely. people get away with everything. Now you got social media, you know, uh, maniacs and, and everyone's so tough and everyone's an <laughs> all tough muscles, guy and everyone's got an opinion. But, like, if there was actually some accountability, most of <laughs> these people wouldn't say, wouldn't say boo. You know what I mean? It's like if you want to be on the ice with me, if, if you want to, if you want to play hockey in a respectful fashion, you're not going to have a problem. But if Spot you're going to play hockey with me in a, in a non-respectful manner, you're going to have a problem. And it, it, I, I just see that trickling into the real world, <laughs> where like I wish more people would, would punch people in the face. Absolutely. It really does humble. It does humble people. There's no question about it. And I guess I, I remember. Not a, I'm not a violent person. Yeah, I remember like a uh, an old like an old VHS, like greatest hockey hits uh, video. I used to watch like when I was in high school playing hockey and the commentator on that video said they were like, it was just like one like massive you know, blow after the other on the ice. And the guy was like, don't ever write a check with your mouth that your body can't cash, you know? So it's like, right. we're, we're, we're missing, we're missing too much of that now for sure. You're spot on. Yeah, no, it really always, it's hard for me to watch because I see some of the things that happen. You see Brad Marchand licking faces and some I of the other weird <laughs> things that are happening. Like, that would never happen. That would never happen back in the day. I would have been. If it did happen, he would have had a stick rammed down his throat so fast he wouldn't know what to do with it and he wouldn't do it again. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just yep. like, well, he probably would have got You got to spank your kid now and then just to, like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You know? <laughs> yes. so, to me, it's like, um, I don't know. It just, it's it's frustrating because it's it's the one ingredient that kind of separates sport of hockey from other sports. You know, you could probably throw lacrosse or something in there. Like obviously they they, they scrap it out. There's a lot of emotion. Um, but you know that 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 energy of accountability is is very powerful. And I and I lived it, and I can speak from experience. That like when I was playing against you know Washington or Pittsburgh and George the Rock or Donald Bashir weren't in the lineup. Say, well, I'm going to act like a bigger jackass tonight because I don't have to fight those guys tonight. I can fight, I can fight a middleweight or something. You know, it's like, you know what I mean. But as soon as those guys are in the lineup, it's like, okay, well, I know I'm going to fight them anyways. But I, I also I approach the game a little more different. You know, what I mean, I'm, sure. I, I am different the way I approach it. So um, that element of accountability, man, I tell you what, it is powerful. And and when you remove it, um, everyone's a tough guy. You know, everyone's everyone's a tough guy running around and and acting like King Kong. And uh, to me, it's not. It just it just shows how, how 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 fake it's become because we know when you don't have that, it's like it's like WWE, it's like wrestling now. It's not yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not really fighting. It's not like UFC fighting. It's like now we got in wrestling. It's like it, it's just That's a lot a of analogy. acts. acts. It's like a lot of acts. You know, like a lot of personalities coming out and you know in the heat of the moment, but they as soon as the refs come in, they want to act tough and they you know they don't they won't fight. You know, it's just like all show and. There's no jam behind anything anymore, you know. Go on special teams. Yeah, game big special teams, so That's great, but, you know, like, come on. Like, how about how about sticking up for your teammate? And how about protecting your teammate? How about if your star player goes down with a concussion that you could have possibly prevented by just having a little more respect in the game or in that in that specific game because you had a tough guy dressed? Like, that's the difference of making the playoffs, not making the playoffs, and winning the Stanley Cup and not winning the Stanley Cup, in my opinion. You know, you got to protect your investments. And yeah, you're right on. Traditionally, it's always been through sacrif- you know, sacrificial lambs, addressing that extra guy that's willing to put his body on the line to, to hopefully save face for when you're, when you're a star player and your goal scorer. So, you I guys mean, were the insurance policy of the time. Uh, I, right. I just, I just it's never going to go back that extreme. But, I mean, I think there's a happy medium where 
you can have a more skilled guy. I say a skilled guy, meaning that like you got to be able to skate. You know, you got to be able to play the game at the, at the high pace that it's at now. But like, you know what I mean? Like having, let's say, a middleweight or a light heavyweight that can fly around and still fight 10, 15 times a year. I don't think you need to fight 30 times a year, but like enough to keep guys on their toes. And you know what I mean? Like knowing that, you know, like a guy like Zach Ronaldo's he's still pretty dangerous. He's, you know, he's a, he's a middleweight, but like, guess what? He keeps guys honest. He's, you know, you don't know what he's going to do. And uh, there's not many guys like that, you know? Two, two things. Who's the fighter for out. Vegas right now? Reeves. That? Reeves. Reeves. Yeah, Reeves I would say Reeves. Reeves is probably the toughest guy. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, when, when we were just talking about that, I wrote down two things. One was, this was the first Stanley Cup play uh, series in, in history without a five-minute major for fighting. The second was that Brad Marchand would have never licked that dude's face had there been anybody, you know, any enforcers on the ice this season. There's no way he would have done that. He, he knew what the ramifications of licking someone's yep. face. I mean, you know you're going to get your teeth now. I don't know how his big nose hasn't been broken numerous times, to be honest with you. Right. That's a heavy target, man. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're right. I mean, the fights used to be, you know, you you would police yourself on the ice, right? So, um, like you or George the Rock were on the bench. So, you two were the police, the police officers, right? You kept everyone calmed down. You didn't go after the star players. They knew if they did the cheap shot or something that your ass was coming, jumping over those boards and lining up on the face off next to them. And uh, they don't have that anymore. And like you said, these guys are, you know, sticking their legs out, cheap shots. And, and you're exactly right, Riley, that they, you know, that's, you know, something that could eventually put you out of the playoffs. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. I'm not sure you're going to be able to, reverse this at this point um i just i just wish there was a, just a little bit more just a little bit more emotion that was allowed to you know to hang in the, in some of these games uh you know i just feel like you know i see some of these flyer games this year it's like there's like you know you go from a team like from the broad, extreme broad street bullies to you know basically through all the 80s and 90s and 2000s always carrying at least one if not multiple tough guys to like having zero toughness and trading away Wayne Simmons and, and basically anybody they had that was tough. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? It was like they're going in a different direction. Like straight up like pond hockey. <laughs> uh, Riley, real quick before yeah. we move on to it to the next topic here um, with you, talk. I mean, because I mean, all of us played hockey uh, at all different levels and stuff like that. So we get like we get all the stuff you're talking about. Like for people that are listening to this show, maybe that aren't, um, you know, like fully educated on the game of hockey like talk about how back in the day like was was your coach before the game like literally telling you like listen like i want you to go out here and fight so and so like how did it work as an enforcer back then like we get it listeners might not like how did how did it work yeah you know what i've actually never been told by a coach to fight so it's always been like subliminal messages so for example like Oh, um, we're waiting on the lineup for tonight. If, uh, you know, if, if, if Georgie plays, you're going to play. You're going to take warm-ups. If he plays, you're going to play. So based on conversations like that, it's like, okay, well, like, if, if that's the case, then I got to fight him. Um, the, other, the other ones are like, you know, like depending on the, the time of the game, we're like if we're the home team, we have last change. And like however the game goes, and the coach puts you out there, 
you know, against their tough guy. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, he's putting me, he's putting me out there against this guy. You know, at this time of the game, it's kind of like he's not telling me, but he's kind of just like he's kind of like showing me. You know what I mean? So it's it's always been one of those. And and for me, like when I signed up to be a tough guy, I'm the way I'm wired. I'm kind of like all in, right? So I was like, you know, instead of like aiming to score thirty goals or fifty goals, I was like, okay, I'm fighting at least thirty-five times this year. You know, that was like my goal: I'm fighting thirty, thirty-five times. So it's kind of like I was like all in gamer, right? So like you didn't have to like I didn't have to look too hard to try and find a fight. You know what I mean? It was just always like it was always on my mind and any any sort of I was just like constantly head on a swivel looking for something to pick a fight on just so just to earn my keeps and show that I was like, you know, that I was willing to put myself out there and my body on the line and, and earn respect for my teammates and, and coaches. So you know, for me, I just, I never had a coach tell me to fight, like, ever. You know what I mean? Besides yeah. one time in junior hockey, you know, 16, Kevin McClellan basically came in after second period, like, like, fucking do something, man. Like, 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 just do something. <laughs> like, grab a guy and fight somebody, anything. Like, but other than that, like, pro career, I never had a coach ever, ever tell me to fight, you know? So, um, yeah. well, but I, I know for, 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 for other guys, that's not, that's not the case. But for me, it was just because probably because – I actually had the the other thing, the other way happened to me where the coach is like, settle down, just play hockey a little bit, play hockey. We don't need any more fights, don't need any more penalties. Um, it was it was kind of it was kind of like toning toning me down, but um, interesting <laughs> life for sure. Yeah, so you touched on it briefly there. Um, you know, I know that there's uh, times in a game where you might be down like two goals early in a game, and the coach wants you to go out and and fight somebody because they want to get the team fired up. And you know, change the momentum in the game. You know, you've probably been in some situations like that too, right? Oh, absolutely. And that, yeah, that's kind of just like the, uh, you know, the quiet, the quiet tap. Like he's not telling you to fight, but like based on the time, the score, and you know, the the line change itself, it's kind of like, okay, I gotta fight. You know what I mean? You line up and crowd into it. Get the guys on the bench. You up, try and do up. it. Try and do it without taking a penalty. You kind of just say, you know, if there's a tough guy, we're gonna we're gonna fight. We're gonna do this and. You know, generally he's told not to, right? They got a two-goal lead. Why? Why would you fight? So, and then I'm then the next. My next comment is like, okay, well then I'm gonna I'm gonna make you fight me. I'm gonna run around until <laughs> I run somebody over, and you know, so it's one of those. If I can't get you fight, then I was gonna go earn it, and you know, just a little more work, but gotta let them know how it's gonna go down. That's hilarious. Love it, man. I, wish awesome. that, I definitely wish there was some of that in today's game for sure. I mean, that's that's that is something that I miss dearly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, we I, saw a ten-goal game, but we, you know, we also saw, uh, you know, a Stanley Cup final where there was no five-minute major fighting. So it, it's changing. Both teams made it to the Stanley Cup without a five-minute major. The whole, the whole playoffs. The whole yeah, playoffs. It's yeah, it's hard to believe. That's hard to believe. Yeah, but there was a shit ton of penalties. I mean, if somebody touches the skate with their stick, they're falling down to get the penalty. That kind of stuff pisses me off right. too. I mean, I think you had like two hundred. Pims in a season. I mean, if you played now, you'd probably have like 300 plus. <laughs> yeah, all minors. 900,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was pretty pumped to see Chief win a Stanley Cup, though. Yeah, I had him as assistant coach, head coach in the minors, and then assistant coach of the Flyers. And you talk about, you know, one of the toughest dudes to ever play. Um, you know, mad respect for him. And you know, I haven't been more emotionally invested in the playoffs. Um, than I was this year, just just because of him, and um, you know, props to him for for that. Yeah, it's Craig Berube. It's hard to believe. There's no fighting majors with it with him in the playoffs. It's hard. It's actually hard to believe. But 
you know, Chief's, Chief's adapted to the new age game. You know, he's not an idiot and he's not going to tell guys to go fight. You know what I mean? It's like he, the bottom line is winning, winning games and scoring goals now. I mean, it's just work hard, you know, just, just outwork the opponent and be relentless. You know, that, that attitude is still in him, obviously. For sure. Hey, um, Riley, let's get into a little bit about what you're doing now with the CBD oil and um, talk a little bit about your business and stuff. Sure. Yeah, you got, a web, mean, uh, got a website that you can tell the listeners about. Yeah, so that's bodycheckwellness.com, and uh, check is spelled C-H-E-K, so bodycheckwellness.com, and it's a you know it's a it's a wellness company mainly focusing on hemp derived CBD products um, from capsules to tinctures to topicals and 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 in that world. And um, you know I, I got out of I got out of playing hockey in 2010. I was 28, retired. Another year of my contract. Um, it was really an exit strategy for me to find my health, my mental health, and uh, just really kind of move on. I was kind of, I was kind of just tired of of that that world, the ups and downs, and and, and the fighting, and the, that you know that chronic state of anxiety. So the reality was, I was probably gonna get sent down to the minors uh, that following year, even though I had a one way contract. And uh, that summer, Paul Holmgren, who was the general manager at the time, called me up, and um, one of the assistant coaches for the for the Phantoms, his house burnt down, ironically. I mean, it's uh, uh, Shell Samuelson, who's in Sweden, house burnt down, opportunity to coach, and says, well, are you interested in this? And, uh, you know, on the phone, I was like, what do you mean? I'm 28, and I got a year my NHL contract, and, you know, and one more year of my contract. And um, I, I, he kind of laid it out there, and as I got off the phone, I just thought more and more about it, and I said, man, this is an exit strategy. I could still be in the game but not be – on that side of the fence and, you know, it's partying too much. And just, again, that chronic state of anxiety of always knowing you have to fight or when's the fight going to happen, you know, when's the next fight and all that stuff. Just to kind of uh, remove that that out of my life and kind of find myself. So I, you know, when I got out of playing, got into coaching, I had a lot of spare time in my hands and did a lot of reading. So, you know, just reading general books on, on just health and wellness and Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine and, started learning about the hemp plant and cannabis plant, the traditional uses, industrial applications, and started learning about, you know, from a nutritional standpoint, the nutritional profile of the hemp seed and became extremely passionate about, you know, transitioning from, again, I call it like my, my meathead days of just like consuming whey protein by the boatload and, you know, being gassy and <laughs> farting up a storm and, and, and you know, all the animal protein I was eating and went more of a plant-based, you know, really focusing on digestibility primarily. And then, um, as I started learning about these different facets of the hemp plant, I started to learn about these other non-intoxicating cannabinoids. Everyone's familiar with THC, and I, you know, I I'd smoked I mean, pretty much my whole career. Very familiar. Um, you know, just standard dry flower cannabis, but then learning this <laughs> other this other side of the plant where it was like it's not about it's not about the THC. It's about these other cannabinoids, even though there's a small amount in these hemp-derived CBD products and started to understand like there's like these solutions for for all these different things that I've seen the dark side for you know what I mean it's like a solution for anxiety inflammation and I've seen guys on anti-inflammatories forever and anti-anxiety medications it's a solution for sleep and uh you know the amount of ambient I've seen passed around the bus and plane and you know and it's a solution for opioids which you know I can't tell how many guys I've seen go through rehab and the substance abuse program for just that alone, let alone mixing in, you know, self-medicating with alcohol. So naturally it was like, wow, this is, this is it. Like, this is like something I, I can stand for all day long, every day. Um, you know, this is about public health. 
take it a step further it's like environmental health if you want to you know break it break the plant apart you know as a phytoremediator and all these other industrial applications and the economic you know economic growth and um and development so it was just like one of those things i was like man this is it so i started a, a non-profit to just kind of educate and advocate this is 2010 so it was way too early for me to start a hemp derived cbd business you know what i mean this wasn't really even you know a thing yet you know what i mean and uh it wasn't until 2014 when that first farm bill passed where it was kind of like up to the state uh, we started growing hemp in pennsylvania and it was really in, in, in the in the world of research and market research and some other industrial applications and then you know, go two years ago when we started launching this, you know, hemp derived CBD company, it just made sense, you know, so we had the education portion um, that was really just about awareness and, you know, showing that there is natural plant-based solutions for these toxic synthetic drugs that are, have currently plagued us. Um, again, the opioid crisis being the, the most the relevant one, but I mean, I think the sleep crisis and, you know, the obesity crisis, you want to mix that in there and you want to mix in just the, uh, you know, uh, just anxiety you know anxiety and depression to go kind of go hand in hand a lot of times like the mental health crisis and i just felt like you know suppression of this plant and you know cannabis prohibition has caused i would say the root cause of this of this epidemic this healthcare epidemic that we've we've ran into and now we're going full circle back to it so it, it's just been it's been really rewarding to see you know, my, you know, if I say my immediate network, how I've been able to impact their lives in a positive fashion. Again, again, you know, it's not a cure-all. This is like a sustainable tool to manage the daily grind of life. And then if you're an athlete, the daily grind of life and recovery, you know, sports recovery. And um, just, you know, adding that element of calming the nervous system, promoting rest, relaxation, you know, managing anxiety, stressors. And, and the kicker, the kicker of this whole thing is when I started learning that these cannabinoids, uh, were patented by the U.S. government as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. So I was like, oh, man, I get punched in the face for a living. I might have actually been doing my brain some good, you know, consuming cannabis this whole time and then getting into the oils. And that, that was that was kind of like the the main variable of me saying, guess what? Like, this is this is it. Like, this is not only just a pain management tool and, and anti-inflammatory. This is like protecting the brain. We can only do so much with the concussions, you know, building the helmet bigger and, and thicker. But now you're protecting the brain from the inside out and, you know, talk about pre prevention of injury and, you know, as a general manager and owner, it's like, you know, you talk about protecting your investment. Well, to me, it was like, man, this is, this is like it. If you're an owner or, or a general manager is like, there's not many things you can do for the brain. And this is one, you know, I mean, this is, this is a major one. And, you know, again, going back to if Claude Giroux, you know, gets a concussion that could have been, mitigated from a six-weeker to a three-weeker or a four-weeker to a two-weeker or or maybe just a day-to-dayer -day i mean that's the difference of making the playoffs not making the playoffs winning a stanley cup not winning a stanley cup you know what i mean and that's and, and and that's protecting your investment so um i know i'm rambling now but uh, I, I just saw such value in just you know general public health but then coming from the world i came from um you know it's a contact sports but just sports in general a real emphasis on uh, on sports recovery, um, but protecting the brain, which is you know going back is like to the start of this conversation is went from like archaic thinking about brain health to like really a, a lot of resources putting into brain health and you know concussions and CTE and stuff like that. So all in all, it's just an overall unbelievable tool. And 
the success stories that we've been got, you've been getting in the testimonials are, are like through the roof. You know, it's generally the people start for simple solutions like, Oh, I just took it for my anxiety, but it, it also helped with, you know, my lower back pain, my sleep. And I woke up and I just felt more clear. So like, you know, it's like you start for one reason and you get like three or four bonus um, elements. Then if you're into the disease state stuff, which I can't make claims because it's not FDA approved and you know, all that stuff. But I mean, some of the testimonials I'm getting from disease state stuff from epilepsy to, you know, uh, diabetes and lowering insulin medication and, and uh, you know, MS to, you know, dementia and you name it. Um, it's unbelievable. So, you know, and if you just peel back the layers and, and research this a little bit, this is not like new findings. This is just the government allowing this information to be known. You know what I mean? If you look, you know, pre, pre prohibition cannabis, um, w was the number one ingredient in virtually all drugs in the U.S. pharmacopoeia for over 100 years. So it's not like we automatically or we just like just instinctively figured this out in the last year or two or five years. It's like this is this has always been known. And cannabis prohibition, you know, looked at it from a medicine standpoint, um, all the way through the industrial application that interferes with synthetic fibers like nylon, oil, pulp and paper, um, the textile industry, the newspaper industry. Um, you know. It, all these corporations came together and said, guess what? This one plant, the hemp and cannabis, the hemp cannabis plant is the same thing. I mean, the hemp is cannabis. Um, we'll outlaw the whole thing and we'll put people in private prison systems for it. And we'll, we'll, we'll say it's because it's not good for your health. When, it, when in turn, it's, it's nothing more than a, a, a political play to just suppress a natural, sustainable uh, resource. And so the synthetic world can thrive. So, you know, once you start dicking, you know, dipping your head down these rabbit holes, it can't. It it should piss you off because you've been fundamentally misled, and you now you've mis been misled down these these deep dark um, paths, and where death is is near on most of them. You know what I mean? It's like walking off of walking off a, a ledge. Just just how soon you're gonna walk off it? So to me, it's like you know, for public health and just 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 helping my fellow brethren out, the cannabis and hemp play seems to be absolutely fitting. Oh yeah, I mean you can hear I can we can hear the passion in your voice about this stuff, and it's it's really cool, you know, to be able to inform our listeners, but just the public in general to the to the benefits of all of what you're talking about. But can you talk a little bit about too? Like, I mean, you, I mean, you're you're talking about there's been people joining up with you from across the sports spectrum, right? So, I mean, do you have people? I mean, not just sports in general, but across the sports spectrum, who do you have teaming up with you? Well, I mean, we got I got a couple different layers to to some of these projects that I, I got going on. So I got two nonprofits. Um, I'm a co-founder of uh, Athletes for Care, being the most more prominent one as far as athletes involvement. Uh, we have over 140 athletes from you know all different sports. Uh, we got UFC fighters like Frank Shamrock and Bross Rutan to boxers like Mike Tyson, um, NFL players like Jim McMahon, Eugene Monroe, Jake Plummer. We got you know, hockey players Darren McCarty. Um, Scott Parker, you know, Zach Ronaldo, uh, Dan Carcillo. Um, so all, all across the board and to kind of like, um, some guys are in, in the space as businesses, as, as business person, uh, some guys are in it because they've identified, you know, the healing mechanisms and they just want to help promote it. Everyone's kind of in, in it for a different reason, but, um, nonetheless, they support alternative medicine. Um, so, you know, it's, it's going to take, it's going to take the, these types of guys and, and, and more to really push 
to push the envelope and you know and push the the players association and the alumni association and eventually the leagues to allow their players um to, to use these products you know actually not even just allow them like it, especially on the hemp derived cbd and that's anything grown below 0.3 percent thc like that should be mandated like that should be like something like after the game your trainer comes around instead of gives you giving you a sleeping pill and a muscle relaxant he should be giving you a tincture <laughs> or a capsule you know what I mean? A, a CBD or a full spectrum CBD and, and, you know, protect the brain, hydrate and like really do this the right way. But uh, unfortunately, um, there's still a lot of stigma around it. There's still there's still a lot of archaic thinking when it comes to cannabis. And, you know, that's where I feel like my job is. Athletes for Care's job and these guys job is to, to constantly keep pounding this home. You know what I mean? Constantly painting this this plant in a positive light and showing how it's helping people. Because it's been too long where it's kind of just like the one compound, specifically THC, is, is what most people identify cannabis with. It's just like Cheech and Chong. And there's so <laughs> many other uses and so many other delivery methods. It's like you look at transdermal patches and, and suppositories and tinctures and creams and salves. And I mean, you name it, it's in the marketplace. And, um, you know, so, so, so it just throws out that ignorant belief system of, of, of just, of just cannabis just being a smokable herb, which it is, but that's just like a, that's like, that's like 1% of the plant. Like if that, you know what I mean? So it's kind of just showing this other, this other side of the plant and how it can be integrated, integrated with say sports medicine, sports recovery. Um, but we're all athletes. There's, there's an athlete in all of us, so we all have to recover. So that's managing stress, managing anxiety, ma- managing pain, inflammation, promoting a proper night's rest. And whether you're an athlete or you're working nine to five, like if you do those things properly in a sustainable fashion, you'll wake up in the morning just feeling better, just naturally. So you can perform better. You can be more clear. You can be more focused. You know, all these good things that we expect out of our athletes, out of our workers, um, but really isn't really taught or promoted in a sustainable fashion. It's just, it's just short fixes. It's just, you know, the simple fix is simple. Give me the pill. Give me the pill. I don't want to do the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of, you know, like just identifying what is affecting you in a negative way and removing the things that affect you in a negative way and, 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 and replacing them with things that are, are affect you in a positive way. And that's, you know, Riley, that's I, what I've I learned. Got a question, thing. you know, as someone who, you know, you kind of described it, you know, as uh at least I can relate to the, the self-medicating with, with alcohol. Um, but then, you know, for whatever reason, I also self-medicated with, with the cannabis, the flower, and the, the THC side. But, you know, I, I've tried to get the, to the hemp, you know, away from the smoking and away from the, you know, the, the, what is perceived as the bad part of that. But my, my question is, you know, for someone who, you know, for alcohol, there's a there's a feeling, there's an effect. For the the smoking, the THC side, there's a feeling and there's a an effect. So for someone who is used to the alcohol and the THC, when you're switching to the CBD and there isn't that, for lack of a better term, high or you know buzz, what is it that you're looking for in in a product? How how do you know where to get started? in this stuff it's just overwhelming um to me i keep going back to the flower just because i it helps first of all but um, yeah i don't know i i don't know how to get started in that whole cbd the, the oil stuff 
you know, you're, you're, I've tried right. it for a week and I, I just, you know, I, I don't know what to expect or, or whether things are actually happening for me. Yeah. And I, and I can totally relate to where you're coming from because I've been a cannabis user since I was 15 years old. So, and I, and I still am. So I, I do both. Yeah. Um, cause you associate, everyone's looking for that feeling, right? I mean, I think if you want to compare, you know, alcohol to cannabis, I think we, most people that would consume both are, are, tr are trying to accomplish the same goal. They're just taking two different paths. Right. You know, alcohol is a dark energy that, you know, that does, I say it's unconscious energy. As you drink, you, you become more and more impaired. And eventually if you drink enough, you will become unconscious. You know, cannabis is a conscious forming drug where it actually brings more awareness and, and you know, more mindfulness into your, your daily regimen. Yes, you can over overconsume THC where you become less productive, but it doesn't make you become unconscious. You know what I mean? You'll fall asleep and you have a good night's rest. So, like, if the default for harm reduction is using THC, cannabis, like, 100%, like, go all in. I mean, like, look at Darren McCarty. He's got an unbelievable story. He got off, you know, all his highly addictive drugs and, and alcohol with cannabis. And eventually you can, you can detach from the THC if you need to. But, like, I look at THC as a valuable tool. I think right, yeah. what needs to be taught is, uh, is, is like, respecting, respecting the substance. And that's, like, across the board, whether it's food. We disrespect food. We seem to want to eat 5,000 calories a day. We should be eating 2,000. You know what I mean? Refined carbohydrates. We, we, dis, we disrespect sugar. We disrespect alcohol. We disrespect caffeine. So there needs to be an element of teaching how to respect substance. And that's the same thing for cannabis. Like once you understand your dose, understand how much THC um, you, can, you can actually consume um, without losing productivity, like that's like that you've, you've, mastered, you've mastered the use of cannabis now. Where like that's where I feel like I'm at is like I can yeah. use THC all day long. I consume um, all not, I don't sacrifice productivity. I feel great. I'm, I'm creative. I got good energy. Yeah. And I still supplement with uh, CBD as just a, an anti-inflammatory. And, and I, do, I, do, I do notice a different dimension of sleep when I add CBD layered with THC where I think the THC puts me to sleep. The CBD keeps me asleep in this really deep REM sleep. Yeah. Um, so I think this is understanding tools, but I think for people that are so used to getting uh, an immediate fix out of a substance, whether it's sugar, caffeine, alcohol, or cannabis, THC, um, I think that's where they're missing, they're missing the understanding of what, you know, the CBD, um, you know, it's the full spectrum. But what you, what you will notice is like a calming of the nervous system. And if you're getting good CBD, you're like, you should feel that calming sense that you get from the THC without the, the, the psychoactive or the intoxicating effect. So, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, I feel, I feel really calm. I don't feel, I don't feel anxious. I feel like my stress is at bay. I think that's the feeling that most people would get that haven't come from that world. But what I've learned is that most people do self-medicate with alcohol, whether they think they're self-medicating or not. Um, you know what I mean? But I think that's, that, that kind of fogs out the sensory well, of the way you're supposed to be feeling. Thank I think you once you remove the alcohol, you're more in tune. Yeah, thank you. First of all, I have an excuse for why I drank so much beer for, you know, probably 10 years. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but you know, not, not to make this about myself. Dar Darren McCarty is a big name. You know, he, he can have that story, whereas somebody who is nobody from nowhere is just a druggie who, you know, has problems. So, you know, myself, I was able to, you know, completely walk away from 
you'll almost completely walk away from alcohol and, and cocaine. Um, but it was through THC. And, and, you know, I'm not afraid of that at all. I don't give a fuck. I, I'm here today to tell you that that's my story, right. whether you like it or not. That's my story. I didn't have to go to hey, you know what? Zone or, you know, and, I, and I love that. And I, and, I, and I love that because that is the way we should all be thinking is just like and, and talking because we're so we're so wrapped up in what other people think. Like I, I, I kind of came the same way. I, I used to be a, you know, I say a heavy drinker, more of a, a binge drinker. Like when it was, part, it was time to party, it was time to party. And then the party escalated <laughs> to whatever other street drugs I could find. But, right. you know, um, this is, you know, the THC, I, I look at, you know, cannabis as an exit drug. It's not, it's not a gateway drug. It's, it's a gateway to wellness and it's an exit drug from, from prescription drugs and, and alcohol. So this story is very common to me, but I wish more people didn't give a fuck about them talking about it like that because it would it would help more people get off these hard drugs quicker because sure. they're so concerned about like oh, what what's what's what, what's well, Joanne yeah. down the street gonna think of me if I smoke weed? Who gives a shit? She's drinking yeah. she's drinking alcohol all night <laughs> right. and, she's, and and she's you know three hundred pounds overweight because she's she's her drug is sugar. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like shame on her for judging me, but like we need to come together and identify addiction as addiction or, or substance abuse as substance abuse and not judge or point fingers because I want to use an herb and you want to, and, and you want to drink, you know, 10, 10 Pepsis a day. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I think be the, real with the conversation. The big problem is that I'm not, I mean, it's not a problem for me. I'm not tied to a nine to five anymore. And most people are, and you know, that affects work these days. So, you know, right. I can say whatever I want because, you know, nobody's getting ready to, to shit game me. <laughs> right. There's some truth to that. I hear you. truth to that. Yeah, yeah. There is some truth to that. Absolutely. I mean, I was in that position. I was still employed with the Flyers when I, you know, consciously got up in, in front of the Flyers alumni when Paul Holmgren was still the president and, you know, half the guys were gone through rehab programs. And I'm speaking about cannabis and, and, and CBD and giving them all CBD samples and like it was very well received from the guys that weren't in management, but I lost my job literally two days later. So it was, it's like, I understood the risk of what I was doing, but it was like the reward and the reward in the sense of like helping people out was more important than, you know, a corporate sports job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's like at some point as human beings, you have to step outside of your comfort zone a little bit stand up for something that's bigger than you are. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah. what most people are, are afraid of. It's like, what am I going to do if, if, if I don't have this job? Well, it's like, well, couldn't you find like another job or couldn't you, <laughs> you know, start your own company or, you know what I mean? There's, there's a million other options outside of that, but we're so, we're so, everything's so fear-based, right? So we, we're, we're kind of conditioned to just comply and we're going to lose everything if, if, if we don't ruffle any feathers. You know what I mean? I think, wish, I wish more people would ruffle feathers because, we wouldn't be so complacent and we wouldn't have such b bullshit policies in place because more people would talk about them. You know what I mean? As they are versus just being politically correct about them and not talking because we don't want to lose our job. We don't want to, we don't want to look, we don't want to look like the, uh, you know, the odd man out at church because you know, we're using a, a God given herb. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, like let's, let's, let's be real human beings with these conversations a little bit. I like where you're at, Riley. That's some really cool uh, perspective on life in general, man. Because it's 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 it is kind of ridiculous. Because you get people like you know you 
let's say you're picking up a 12 pack of beer and you're in a small town, right? And you're walking, you're checking out at the, at the gas station and somebody's sitting there with a fucking 78 ounce Mountain Dew in their hand. They're like looking at you like, Oh, he's picking up a, <laughs> picking up a 12 pack of beer again. It's like, well, fuck you. You know, look at, look at the, how many, how many Pepsis did you drink today? And Twinkies did you eat? You know what I mean? Like I don't do anything except for have a couple of beers at night. So I, it's really a cool, uh, it's really a cool perspective that you have. It's a perspective that I think all four of us can very, very, very easily relate to. And, uh, you know, you're right, though. More people need to speak the hell up and, and not be afraid. And um, there's a lot to be said for everything you're saying. So I appreciate that very much. I, I think my I like last it. question is, is the most important one, which is how the hell do you know the difference between the knockoffs and the real deals? Go to bodycheckwellness.com. Yeah, that, 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 that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question because uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of companies capitalizing off naive consumers. You know, consumers yes. that really don't have a clue of what they're even looking for besides the the, the, the three letters of CBD. So, um, third party lab tests would be you know for me it would be like top of the list. Like go to their website and they should have third party lab tests because at least it's going to show you. You know, the cannabinoid profile showing you actually how much CBD is in there, but also the heavy metals, like all the, the toxic shit that you don't want. Um, I look at I look at buying my CBD or my, my hemp much like I, I, I buy my food. It's like supporting the local farmer, like supporting organic, supporting, you know, proper agriculture versus like just supporting, you know, Kellogg's cornflakes, which is, you know, sprayed heavily sprayed with you know glyphosate, and, you know Roundup Ready, and it's genetically modified versus right. you know something wholesome and organic. So, um, you know, you, you should know where it's coming from. So you have to, as a consumer, you should spend a little time to identify these things. Otherwise, you're just going to be throwing your money in the wind because there's a ton of these gas station, vape shop type of uh, CBD companies that are yeah. everywhere, flooding the market. Everywhere. It's buy, it's buyer beware. And the, the reality is, I would say over 60% of all the stuff on the mar- in the marketplace is, is garbage. Um, so it's one of those things. It's like being more mindful of, of, of what you put in your body. And, that, and the, that this should translate into your diet and into the way you buy food. But again, um, go to their website, see, see what they're about, learn about them, and then, and then look for third-party lab tests. So to me, that's companies being transparent about their product versus like if there's nothing, like look at the ingredients. So, you know, you're able to tell most of the time um, from the agreement ingredients. I was just in Vegas at a retail show. There must have been 50 CBD companies besides ours there, and I could say I could say for certain there was maybe one other competition, like one one other company that I could say that would give us a run for our money as far as like our our angle in this. I've seen like you know cotton ca- hemp cotton candy. Right. Like you know, CBD infused cotton candy, all these different gummy bears with like cu- food coloring and 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 corn syrup and high fructose corn syrup. It's like that's just stuff you don't want to buy. You know what I mean? That's like a novelty CBD product. If you want to buy real, true medicinal hemp, you gotta be you've gotta be going through the, uh, a proper source, uh, an organic farmer that understands soil, understands genetics, and understands processing. You know, to me, it's just doing your own due diligence on something that's going to affect your, your health in a positive manner or, or in a negative manner, depending on what you buy. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's unfortunate. It's unregulated. It's legal, but it's unregulated. You know, FDA hasn't really drawn a line in the sand yet. So you got all these fly by night companies coming in and 
you know, literally putting CBD in big bowl, big bowl letters on anything. Like I've seen it in hot sauce and 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 and, 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 and literally anything you can imagine. Now I've seen it, um, and it's it's crazy. Like if you're gonna get your if you're gonna get your CBD source in hot sauce, like. <laughs> or Arby's, you know, barbecue sauce, or whatever the hell it was. Like, like, come on, like, what are we doing? Like, you avoid something essentially perfect, and now you <laughs> industrialize it like everything right. else. So, right, right, right. Well, well, Riley, we really yeah, appreciate you awesome. um, filling us in on on uh, your company and and CBD in general. Um, I guess the bottom line is, if you're looking for for good CBD, check out Body CheckWellness.com, and it's spelled C H E K. Um, I've checked out your website. You you know you have a great. Looks like you you got a whole uh, manufacturing distributing process that you had to go through, as well as learning about the the hemp itself. So you probably had a pretty steep learning curve of how to distribute this product, how to um, manufacture the product, a lot that goes into it besides just learning learning about it. So it looks like your um, your company's really got it down. And for all the listeners, if you're interested, go onto their website and check it out. It looks like pretty good stuff. You also have some merchandise, some cool shirts on there, t- uh, tank tops, all kinds of good stuff. So check them out. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we should, we we really take pride in the quality. It's the most important to us, yeah, because otherwise we were selling out, you know. So it's all about helping people and and, and providing the, the highest quality product we can. So. I appreciate the plug. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on the show Thanks tonight. Thanks uh, for the education, man. I mean, it was great to talk hockey. Uh, it was awesome to talk hockey. Um, I, I think this, but you know, I, I, the, the hemp and CBD is a game changer. You know, to educate people is is priceless. So, thank you. Um, thank you. Anytime. <laughs> appreciate having you on, guys. All right, Riley. Man, enjoy. It was an honor. Yeah, great talking to you, man. Thanks. Have a good night. We'll talk to you soon. You too. Right. Cheers. Bye. All right, Riley Coite coming on. Uh, pretty interesting stories, hockey stories, as well as his new business venture. And um, it was kind of cool to talk to him about how um, the game has changed because we talk about so much about that now in our podcast and how things are just totally different in the rules of the NHL. And so that perspective from a guy that used to be in that position, kind of like when we had George LaRock on, two different perspectives, I think, from what George talked about and what Riley talked about. Um, you know, it's a little bit different, um, both of their perspectives. So it's kind of cool to hear hear it from another enforcer that's left the game. Um, you know, in 10 years from now, who are we going to interview that's uh, an enforcer? Yeah, <laughs> To, st- to take a step back further, we had the, the original goon, Doug Smitty-Smith, right? So, you know, he was one of the starters, you know, of, of enforcing and then, you know, the evolution through through to, uh, you know, Riley and George Rock. Yeah, and he, he actually went and trained some of the Europeans how to fight, right? So that job's probably gone now. <laughs> Good interview, though. Yeah, uh, I, go ahead, Pat. It's... Uh, just the you know we talk about it all the time on the podcast you know we're riley's age you know we're 38 39 derek's 40 um but uh you know we we played in that era um and we missed we missed the hot we missed the fights um you know i look better than you i like guys to see though. a fight yeah derek definitely a love handles are totally going away he uses cbd <laughs> but, but the you know the policing 
um, you know, what we got into a little bit, you know, like Mar Marshawn, how he licks people like that didn't happen back in the day. And we've talked about it numerous times, like how that how that guy doesn't get his ass kicked. And uh, it's just just to see that go away. And, you know, the Rob mentioned the, the St. Louis Blues to uh, win a Stanley Cup without a fight. Um, it's it's getting pretty weak. And it was funny when Riley said that uh, nowadays they're putting him in uh, concussion protocol when a, a tissue lands on top of his head. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, and Mark, you're right. Like, you know, if who are we going to interview here in a couple of years that was an NHL enforcer? Like, they're slowly weeding that out. And uh, I think we said it here before, too. Like, I think we've talked about, um, you know, who we remember that uh, the last NHL player that wasn't wearing a helmet. Um, pretty soon it's going to be who's the last player that wore a half shield. Like eventually they're going to go to a full cage. Um, it's just getting kind of, you know, and, and they're protecting the players, but soft. A little bit of that, you know, the hockey, hockey players, man, we're tough. We're shooting a rubber puck, you know, hundred miles an hour that we're taking to the chest that we dove in front of and popping yeah. right back up or yeah. into the hand. And, um, Sometimes the face. Who knows? I, it's just, <laughs> no, it's, I yeah. I mean, the face, what's his name? Broker's jaw, freaking Chara. He's out I mean, on the bench fucking 10 minutes later. The pendulum has just swung too far. You know, like it's like he, he kind of like alluded to it, Riley. Like it's like it's infected its way like into our entire society. Right. So we become just like a soft society in general. Right. So, um, you know, there's there's definitely a middle ground probably. Right. You don't need yeah, somebody to go out. Like he said, fighting. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't need somebody to go out there and fight in, you know, 35, 40 times a year, like he said, or something like that. But you got to have you. There has to be in life, right? There has to be like a fear factor involved, like in everything. You know, there has to be. Like, you can't. Um, in in the game of hockey, you can't step on the ice. It's a it's a violent game in general, right? But you can't have a bunch of like five foot eight to six foot tall guys out there that are all finesse players, talking shit to everybody with no repercussions. You know, you got to have. There's got to be a fear factor in the game whether it be somebody that will fight 15 times, like you said, but I just think that's so missing from the game now because it's, you know, you're seeing games where there's 10 goals, eight goals, you know, stuff like that. And there's guys getting hit in the head. There's uh, elite level. Yeah. Leg checks, elite level talent getting, you know, getting hit, you know, illegally and stuff like that. Too many penalties being called because it's too fluffy. Um, it's got to, they got to kind of wind it back. There's got to be a middle road somewhere. And I hope upon hope that that can get back there. You know, I really do. I know. I see like a hit or a cross check or something watching a game now. And I'm like, Oh my God, here comes a fight. And it, there's yeah. no fucking fight. I'm there's like, no fight. Yeah. How's someone yeah. not fighting this fucking guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like you talk about the cross check and I've mentioned it before. You'll see a guy get cross checked into the boards, you know, his face slams against the glass, no penalty. Five minutes later, the guy touches his fucking stick to his, his guy's gloves and it's a penalty. It's like, well, how, what the fuck just happened there? You can cross a, check a guy into the board's face first and drop him, but you can't touch him because you're sticking his gloves. Mark, so I think there's problems uh, there. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, you asked the exact same question, which was uh, I, I was waiting for it. I was starting to write it down, and then you nailed it. 
It was the the changing of the pace of a game. You know, you you might be down a goal, you might be down two, but maybe someone goes out and just fucking rocks somebody, and and those are momentum shifters. They change. You could end up getting rocked, and then all of a sudden the next team, you know, the, the team that just rocked you or whatever scores a goal, they put another one in, and all of a sudden there's more hits. The next one goes in, but you know, you know, the contact is not there anymore. The fighting is not there anymore. But the importance of, you know, hey, we're down a couple goals. Let's go drop the gloves. We'll tap them and 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 get everybody on the bench riled up. Those days are gone, man, and it's just sad to me. It's just sad. We're we're never going to be able to see those types of momentum shifters. I mean, Hope, I can hopefully it comes back. I can remember, yeah. you know, being one of the bigger guys that, you know, thinking that was my role and then seeing one of the younger guys, like a freight train, beating me to the punch, right? That wakes everybody up. It wakes everybody up. So, yeah. you know. I can remember. Sad. Listen, I can remember of the four of us, right? So we all played hockey together through high school. Let's just talk about the high school level. Marky Morley, man, I, I can remember numerous times. Who's that guy? I can remember numerous times, though, honestly, like Stevie Craig saying or, you know, like before high school, Stevie Craig saying, but at high school level, like Ralphie, Ralphie Newvine, like saying, listen, man, like, <laughs> let's change the momentum of this game. And Mark, you'd go out there and fucking smoke somebody, you know, yeah. like at center ice, you'd smoke them. It, it, whether it be you, I'll drop another name. Like I remember watching high school hockey you'd seen Danny Jacobs, you know, dropping people out there, Danny you know, Hitman, like, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? That changed the way. You know, when you when you're forechecking and you're smoking people constantly, right? That changes the way a game is played. Like, I mean, if you have an aggressive forecheck, you're 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 attacking you're attacking the zone, smashing people into the boards. Defensive start looking over their shoulders. That changes the game. You know, what I mean, and that's that is lacking. It sure. doesn't matter how game. good you are if you get put on your ass the next time you pick up the puck. You're gonna be yep. looking for the next guy who's looking. It's the heat-seeking missile who's yep. looking to yep. put you on your back. The reason I asked that question, um, because when I was playing for the Wings in professional indoor lacrosse, there is fighting just like hockey. And we had an enforcer on our bench. And, um, you know, at times a coach would send them out when we were losing a game to get people fired up and change the momentum of the game. And I remember, I just kind of remembered that happening. Um, and it did not, it didn't always work, but, you know, when the bench is all standing up, banging their sticks on the boards, people are getting fired up and it gets a little bit of enthusiasm in the team to, change that momentum so um like he said lacrosse and hockey are probably the only sports where you have you know gloves being dropped and fighting being allowed so um you know i can relate to it a little bit i wasn't a fighter but um i did get my ass kicked a couple times hey. <laughs> well guys let's let's uh do a little endorsement here um for king tut uh king tut did a vinyl wrap for uh, robbie P peter's truck so that's pretty exciting. You want to tell us a little bit about those guys, Rob? I mean, yeah, just from top to bottom, it was just I, I've never had a truck wrapped. And, uh, you know, I was definitely a, you know, a cynic walking in. So, you know, I just I just thought that uh, King Tut from beginning to end made me feel comfortable, walked me through it. And, you know, the final product is, you know, a 20 on a zero to 10 scale. As far as I'm concerned, 
he completely exceeded expectations. Um, yeah, he's in what Raleigh, Rob King Tut. King Tut is in downtown Raleigh. Uh, if you're in the Raleigh area, you know I highly recommend the service. Uh, it was reasonably priced, and you know the product for what we got was amazing. We will be uh, tailgating. Uh, as much as we can for the Carolina Hurricanes. So if you get a chance, stop over and see us. You cannot miss the truck. You cannot miss it. Um, and, you know, it's dimes. It's all fire. It's it's amazing. My truck was red, and, you know, now it's just it's something else. It's, it's just amazing. So I highly recommend Pretty set. King Tut and Raleigh. Uh, Check did a great out. job. Yep. And check and look for the uh, Blue Line Hockey Club truck rolling around the Raleigh area. And, uh, you know, King Tut is the place to get your truck wrapped in that in that Raleigh, North Carolina area. If you're looking for something, um, check them out. Seem to be a pretty good place. All right, fellas, let's get into uh, a little bit what's been going on. We have some GM changes this past week, uh, a couple of restricted um, free agents not signed yet. Uh, we can talk about Paul Fenton first up in Minnesota, getting released of his duties this week uh, by the owner of the Wild. Uh, that position has been thrown around a couple different names. Um, nothing's been, no one's been hired there yet. But Pat, you want to just talk a little bit about a couple of the names they're tossing around? Um, we know Mike Madonna's a big part of the decision making there, um, being a Minnesota guy. Yeah, I mean, I, Mike Madonna. Yeah, Mike Badano joined the front office for the Wild. That's uh, pretty big, I think, for um, Minnesota to maybe straighten things out up there, um, just being the state of hockey, big hockey uh, uh, following there. Um, yeah, they fired Paul Fenton after he did a lot of trades. It's almost like he he did so much, and then the next day we find out he's fired. Like, um, you think they would have, you know, fired him before – you know, because I'm assuming that, uh, you know, the owner and most of the uh, uh, the management at the in the wild organization knew about all these crazy trades that he was talking about on top of, you know, in the backdrop, everyone talking about, you know, this guy's got to go, um, letting him do the trades, um, signing people. Um, fishing people. I guess he had Zach Parise out there, um, Suter out there looking to get rid of him. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden the next day we find out he's gone. But uh, yeah, Don Waddell, the GM of the, down here in Raleigh for the Hurricanes, still hasn't um, re-signed with the Hurricanes. So actually I think today on social media that came out that uh, um, Minnesota was talking to him. Uh, Ron Hextall, was someone else that was um, being mentioned. Um, the GM of the Edmontons, what's Shirelli. his name? Edmonton Oilers. That got fired out there. I guess somehow they mentioned him. I don't know what the hell they're thinking about that. But, uh, um, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. We'll see what happens. I think Ron Hextall is right up there. I think he's top of the totem pole. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, you know, being a GM is tough. I think, like I said, I kind of heard that, you know, Zach Parisi, he kind of shopped around, shot Zach Parisi around a little bit and uh, kind of pissed some people off with that, um, you know, with that little thing that he did there. And uh, 
I think the next day they called and uh, let him go. So <laughs> it's tough to be a GM, you know. I mean, he's trying to free up cap space, trying to do what's best for him. I think Derek mentioned something, you know, GM's trying to build uh, an atmosphere that the owners want. Um, and then there's there's all different tangents you can go on. And, you know, I think we talked about it before. It's tough being a GM, you know. You got the owner who's, you know, got pets on the team and uh, – who you know if if you if you raise any feathers in the organization you're fucking gone and and on top of that you guys can you know allude to more what you think we were, i think we mentioned there's only a, a pool of gms it seems like the nhl or the nba or the nfl you know there's a pool of gms and they seem to only pick those gms they don't they go outside the box I, I think the only team that i can honestly say that went outside the box was Buffalo. They got that, um, the GM now there who was like a soccer G- GM or some shit like that. I don't so if you're name. listening, but, uh, it's working out. All four of us will, uh, you know, be interested in applying. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, the assistant GM for the Penguins is also interested in that position in Minnesota and is interviewing up there. I saw that as well. Um, you know, for Minnesota, looking back on the season, I thought the coach might be on the hot seat more than the GM. I did, you know, the Ryan Donato pickup I thought worked out well for them. Um, you know, you had Niederreiter that went to Carolina, but they had, um, what's his name? They picked up uh, Fiala, who also did okay for Minnesota. So, I mean, Charlie Coyle did well for the Bruins, but both of those players, Niederreiter and Coyle, didn't really play that well in Minnesota at the beginning of the year. So, you know, basically when they made, he made those trades the, the young for younger players, um, it, it worked out for all teams involved in those trades. So, um, you know, he was going for a younger team. He got rid of some older players. Uh, I don't really see any of the trades that he, that he made that were bad. Uh, to be honest, but you know, like I said, I think that I thought Bruce was going to be gone before Paul Fenn. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just saying that I just wanted to add that he, you know, put Zucker out on uh, the fishing line for a little while too. So, on top of Parisi, there's numerous times that uh, Zucker was up for a trade too, who was a fan favorite and uh, um a fan or owner favorite too. So that's another. So I tell them though, real quick, like what, so what role does Madonna have in that organization right now, as far as the hiring of the next GM, you think? I I think he's just VP operations. So he's player development, just kind of, you know, helping groom the young players kind of, um, setting the tone on on what to expect because they got a lot of young guys now. And uh, with Donato, Greenway, Cunning, um, Arisonak, um, Stalock. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think, I don't think Madonna wants to step into that uh, spotlight yet, but I think eventually, I bet you he will be the GM. It might not be this year, next year, it might be three years down the road, but uh, once he kind of, his kids get older, I bet you you'll see uh, Mike Madonna as the GM. And, maybe even you know up there with part owner well if he has like a you know if he has any kind of legitimate voice in that organization right now he seems to be more of like uh madonna's not like a um like a flashy kind of guy you know like he seems like he's a more refined um thinks things through pretty well kind of guy and 
they say that they say that Ron Hextall as a GM was kind of the same way. Like the stuff I've read about Ron Hextall is that, you know, he was really like a deep thought kind of guy. He didn't make like rash decisions. You know, he wasn't like off the cuff making crazy trades and stuff like that. He built, I mean, when he was with, he, back to your point of Hextall being a good fit probably for Minnesota, he, he might be that best fit because everything I've, I've read or heard about Hextall is that, you know, he built a hell of a organization in, in, uh, in Philly, you know, and he built a, a great farm system down there. He had great young talent um, in the pipeline. Um, it's it, it almost like when you compare the two organizations and you look at uh, Philadelphia then uh, before he was fired and you look at Minnesota wild now, it's almost like he, he could almost pick up where he left off. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a guy like uh, Ron Hextall get that GM job in Minnesota. Um, obviously that Waddell, you know, he's an intriguing option, but I don't think Carolina, if they have a brain in them, will, will let him walk out the door, but who knows? Maybe, maybe there's yeah. a discrepancy in, you know, between ownership and the way that uh, Waddell thinks in Carolina, but um, Hextall to me seems like that logical fit. When you look at his MO in the past with a Philadelphia organization, it looks like it'd be like an ideal fit with like with that young squad that Minnesota has. Yeah, just real quick, uh, it, it, Pat sent a video out this week of the uh, owner of the Wild talking about Mike McDonough and basically what he was saying is Mike is going to be um, contributing to the fact that um, of the hockey aspect of the position, right? So I guess the owners and some of the uh, the owner, and I think there may be two owners there, um, are going to be focused on the administrative side of somebody that's going to be able to handle um the finance end of it and, and the administrative end of GMs and Madonna is going to be the person that's going to be looking for somebody that can handle the hockey end. Um, that's basically what he said in his interview this week. Cool. Yeah. Hey, I'm with you, Mark, though. I definitely thought uh, Bruce Boudreaux would be gone before Paul Fenton, but. Uh, <laughs> you know what was no. funny about that is when I mentioned Bruce uh, to uh, Ryan Donato last week or two weeks ago, how he was changes a lot changes the lines up like every week he kind of got a little defensive um it's like no yeah. no bruce no it's have to right yeah, yeah but it's like fuck man if you're a player do you want to play on a different line every night and like not know who the fuck you're playing with there's like two weeks left in the season but um he definitely was a little bit defensive when i mentioned that to him yeah i actually uh heard you know um changing topics here uh restricted free agents or um free agents in general that uh the uh boston bruins and charlie mcavoy still haven't been talking too much it's um uh, a stalemate there um actually there's an article out saying that um charlie might not even be playing in the uh or you know suiting up for training camp which could eventually go to the uh, um into the season right so this happened with nylander right it went all the way to January 3rd or something or January there's a deadline January 6th right so if he if he doesn't sign if they don't sign him by January some date in January he can't play the rest of the season so um we'll see what happens there but I heard that neither parties are talking to each other um McVoy wants x amount and they don't want to give him x amount so it's just a stalemate so I'm excited to see what happens there. Um, he, he's, you know, he led the team in 
minutes played offense defense so um something was you know i think cam neely said something about uh he's been injured too much and um i don't know me as a watching i might be a little biased just because i'm friends with mac but the amount of time he played on the ice and what he did for the boston bruins i think you got to sign him right i mean it can't let him slip away charles gonna go yeah, I mean, you and you look at like McAvoy's style of play is exactly, you know, is exactly the new breed of NHL defenseman, right? And he, he's, uh, he's young. I mean, I, I don't know. I like you say. I mean, I guess you take into account like a, you know, a health factor. Does he have some concussion history, things of that nature? But um, I don't know. I don't. Sometimes I, I think to myself that these GMs at these high levels like just overthink this shit. You know, and it's like. Just, just sign the man. You know, pay the guy. He's, you know, he's he's given so many minutes and he's given so many valuable minutes to that team, um, and he brings yeah. so much to the table at a young age. It's like, I mean, these these defensemen like him, you know, that can play two ways. They don't grow on fucking trees, you know. So like, you you have a known commodity. So just pay the fucker, you know. Like, just come on, get, let's let's yeah. move on to the next to the next problem that we've got. You know, I don't know. It's I'm with you, and like like you say, you know, us at the Blue Line Hockey Club, where you know we have. Uh, you know, a, a you know a relationship with the guy, but so maybe we're a little bit uh, biased. But biased, I mean, yeah. you know, but it, at the same time, you just you don't find these kind of guys. You know, you know, they're just just not out there growing on trees, like I said. So pay the man. Twenty two. Yeah. Twenty two years old. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't need to beat this up. I agree with all you guys. Yeah, so, so there's still a lot of um, people that haven't signed out there. So, uh, you know, the Devils, all the trades that the devil did, Devils have done. Uh, Taylor Hall is still out there. Um, the Devils just picked up someone this week. Who was it, Gushev? Or, uh, who did they just sign? Gushnak. Sweeno. Yeah, they got another They got another guy. So um, they just keep pulling in, pulling in players. So it's going to be exciting. And I can't honestly tell you how excited i am for the season to start i think uh september 17th is uh, the start of the season so pretty exciting yeah. i mean this uh preseason starts um fairly soon you know in, in retrospect we're gonna have some preseason games they have some games over in uh europe i believe um if you look at the preseason schedule they're playing some games outside of the uh north america to start the season off trying to I guess promote some NHL hockey over there, but that stuff's coming yeah, up really, really soon. Yeah. yeah. What's the first game though? Is it in the beginning of the month? Next month? If you look at the preseason schedule. September. Yeah. September. Yeah, <laughs> September. Quickly, I, I think September. we'd be you know pretty upset if we didn't say Mitch Marner still hasn't been fucking signed. What what is Toronto thinking? Um, Justin Williams, you know, I'm hoping Justin, it, it's basically up to him. He's trying to figure out, Justin you know, Williams do I have another yeah. year or am I going to retire? Personally, I mean, fuck, I'd like to see him come back. It's not like, you know, as an older guy, you have to worry about getting knocked out anymore. Fights, those, those are gone. So, you know, is the fire still there or what? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, those are some big names too. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I just see something about Larkin talking about how he's ready to be the captain of the wings. Um, we talked about that last year when they didn't they didn't have a captain last year. 
Uh, I think they had three A's. And there's only been, what, like three or four captains of that organization in the last 30 years or some crazy shit like that. So that'll be big for Detroit, picking their, um, you know, Zetterberg left last season, didn't come back. So, I mean, that team needs some leadership. They need to go in a different direction than they've been going in. So maybe that'll help out. What about uh, Ottawa got uh... – What's his name from Tampa? That's huge. Ryan Callahan. Callahan. You got him for nothing. Boys up there. Fucking Tampa got rid of him. They didn't even want him. They were like, uh, here, we'll give you up for a bag of pucks. It's like Ryan Callahan? Uh, he's from Rochester. It was a bad trade. No, I mean, it wasn't that yeah. bad. I thought it'd be a little that'd bit. That would be kind of a local boy for them. I mean, just an hour away, his hometown. So he's probably psyched he's to get back old. there. Injury, yeah. talk about injury prone. Callahan's had a lot of injuries in his career too. Yeah. So, um, like, I think I think somebody when that happened, I think Mark said something about like, um, you know, they needed like an, a somebody that was like above the age of like you know, prepubescent to, to help uh, <laughs> to help like kind of kind of guide those young folks up there in in uh, Ottawa. So uh, if nothing else, I mean, he's going to bring at least that veteran leadership to to a really young group players up there so can't go wrong in, in that Shaq. aspect yeah i think and, I uh, Shankirk left the rangers Shankirk left the rangers and went to tampa speaking of tampa and uh you know Shankirk and quinn uh head coach david quinn didn't get along at all so Shankirk played at um kevin is that his name played yes. at bu um when david quinn was a um assistant coach and uh, I think I don't know. I just kind of heard that they didn't get along there, and it carried over um, to the professional. I think when Shattenkirk heard that Quinn was his new head coach, he kind of didn't like that too well. They didn't see eye to eye, eye, to eye so uh, he's now in uh, Tampa. And I think there was a little salt on that too. Like I think Shattenkirk had a few interviews on the NHL Network about his dislike. Yeah, he had some bad stuff to say. Yeah, he was pretty. He said he was like pissed off that he was ever went there and stuff like that. So yeah, it's uh, probably probably a good change of scenery. Yeah. Yeah, As far as this preseason schedule, it looks like it kicks off on the 16th. The first game is in Los Angeles, Vancouver, Los Angeles, and then there's pretty much a game every day that week. Um, They have the hockey USA. How would I say hockey USA? They go to the uh, give the rink a million bucks or a hundred thousand dollars or something. Hockey Town USA. Yeah, Hockey Town USA. Hockey that's County. that's happening in preseason the first week or two, um, and then also to do the same thing up in Canada. So both of those venues will be um, played pretty early in the in the preseason. It looks like, which is cool for hockey. We should do a campaign, fellas. We should uh, get something going for the Blue Line Hockey Club. Bring the enforcer back. See if we can change the the change NHL the forever. Yeah. <laughs> get Batman on. I'm gonna try to get Batman on. We'll talk to him. See what we can do. Uh, uh, nobody likes him for some reason. Well, fellas, I'll tell you, I have been using my hockey handles down here grilling, and uh, they are pretty sweet. So if you haven't checked out hockey handles yet, um, We've been talking about them the last couple of weeks, hockeyhandles.com. Um, they have uh, hockey sticks that they 
they break down, they cut up the shafts and they put, you know, spatula and tongs and the fork and all that kind of stuff. So they have really cool stuff. Yeah, and, uh, I saw cool you grilling with them down in Florida. I've been Rob and I've been grilling here in Raleigh with them, and they're just cool to carry over to you know to your grill, or if you got people over, and you know they're hockey fans, you're hockey fans, you're grilling with uh, hockey tongs, hockey spatula, uh, whatever. They're pretty cool hockey handles with a Z. Check them out. Bob, they're pretty cheap. Yeah. Also, you get twenty percent off if you send in your broken stick. If you break your blade, send in your shaft. Get twenty percent off, and they'll actually use your stick to create the uh, the grill utensils, which is also pretty sweet. And uh, they work great too. They're not just they're not just a talking piece around the grill. They're actually very functional. So check them out. Good stuff. Big sponsor of the Blue Line Hockey Club. HockeyHandles.com with a Z. We got um, Colton. Sasserman coming on oh, yeah. next week. Uh, should be a good good one. He plays for the Utica Comets. Uh, he's been on the NHL Network. Uh, he had the big beard. He uh, he shows up all over the NHL Network during uh, Movember, uh, just because he has a huge uh, you know mustache beard, and uh, it's kind of iconic. It almost reminds us of um, one of our that. hometown buddies, Tom. Or Tom Ryan, when he played professional yeah. lacrosse, he had locks down to his ass, and uh, uh, everyone wanted to uh, talk to him about. about his dreads, yeah. the they called so him the dude. Colton will be on. Dude looks yeah. like a lady. Yeah. yeah, they would play that song when he when he'd score and stuff. So oh, here, it's gonna be cool. Yeah. Well, fellas, another good interview. Uh, Riley Cote tonight. Um, good interview about hockey also a good interview an educational interview about cbd oil if you have any ailments check out um, his website if you didn't hear it before it is body checks spelled c-h-e-k um, wellness.com uh, all kinds of products if you haven't checked it out it's not like one oil they have all kinds of different oils for all different kinds of capsules yeah capsules oils pretty cool and from what he said it's the real deal so if you're wondering if you're getting the real oil um, check out their site because obviously um, he spoke very highly of his products tonight and um, you know, very good stuff. I'm about right. to put a big order in myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Great interview. And until next time, keep your stick on the ice. To you. Real. Oh, doctor. Keep your head up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.